Good morning, everybody. I think uh, that deal with Castellar is just going to be absolutely cool. And I'm, I know I'm going to be there. And um, I, what a privilege to, uh, to be able to serve our community in that way. And you think of uh, a group of people who give their lives to uh, teaching children and, and in, in, you know, and with some of the challenges that are in that area economically. So what a, what a good deal for us to be able to participate in that. Uh, I'm going to be um, sending you out a letter tomorrow. And it's probably one of the most fun letters that I've uh, been able to write and, uh, and send to you. And um, so I'm just really encouraging you. Uh, it's, uh, it's not even that long. It's one page, and, but it's one page that's filled with good news and uh, great information for you regarding the finances of, of Brookside. You know, with uh, what happened with our initiative with Pave the Way last year and, and your response this year in, in the increase in giving, uh, we're, uh, we're at the best place financially that we've ever been as a church. And I, I, I just rejoice, you know, when I think of uh, going all the way back to the beginning and how God has provided all of these years for us to be able to be in a place like this. And, and then, you know, sometime this summer, we're going to, we anticipate reaching that point of being absolutely debt free. You know, we burned our mortgage last, uh, last year. Yeah, I mean, just, yeah, very, very cool. Just, so don't, be sure to read that letter. Uh, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to explain what's coming up in terms of the, as, as now we don't have a debt to pay on what we're going to be doing uh, with those dollars. So it's, uh, it's a letter not to miss. It's, it's one, to, one to read. Now, I, I'm, I'm convinced that one of the most powerful words in the English language is the word reconcile. And I'd say it's true in any language. That it's, that it's spoken. It's a, it's a word with immense power because of what it means, because of its implications, the dramatic effect it has on people's lives, whether it's reconciliation between nations or reconciliation between individual people. I mean, you know, on a na- national level in, in modern history, I think perhaps uh, one of the most recent examples we can think of is our relationship at one time with Japan and, and with Germany in World War II, where we, we were nations opposing each other, desperately uh, you know, doing our best in, in battle to defeat the other with many lives lost. And we look back at a time like that, and, 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 and I'm, I'm sure that the people who lived back then could not have imagined a day when we would become the strongest of allies. And yet that's what we are today. Um, uh, you know, committed to each other, defending each other, and, and more often than not taking the same stand on, on issues that face our world today. I mean, no one could have imagined that. And then there's that reconciliation that takes place between individual people. And I'm guessing, and in fact, I'm probably uh, nearly 100% sure that all of us have heard of those stories of friends and family members who where, where something happened to break their relationship and, and perhaps there were years of alienation and then something happened that, that restored that, that friendship, that, that relationship. You know, you know, it might have been a crisis that brought them together. It might have been a change of heart. It could be a misunderstanding that, that's been 
resolved, but whatever the reason, their, their relationship is restored and it becomes stronger than, than it's ever, ever been. I, I, in, in my own personal life, I think um, the one that I, you know, I look at the most in that whole thing is the doctor who delivered our two children, Mark Bishop. And uh, that happened, uh, uh, Greg was born uh, within months after we uh, began our ministry in Wisconsin, and, and, uh, and Mark was our doctor, and, and some th- things happened. It was just a uh, wonderful story of God's grace where Mark became a believer in Christ, and so did his wife, and, and then other family members. And, but during the five years that we were in Wisconsin, the thing that often happens is that a, a doctor will have patients who come to them, and they'll talk about their own personal lives. And I, I think perhaps this is especially true in a, in a in, in a small town, and, and, and so what Mark started doing was he would, he would send those people to me as, as a pastor, and, because they didn't have a church, and, and, uh, and they would end up becoming believers in Christ, and, you know, parts of their life would come together, and, and so it was really a, a pretty cool thing that Mark and I had, and we became the best of friends, and, uh, and then Mark moved to Texas, came back, uh, a few months later on vacation, was over at our house, and before the evening was over, and some of you have heard this story, Mark and I talked to each other into that I should move to, Beck and I and the kids should move to Texas and set up a Christian counseling center connected to his clinic, and so we did. And I didn't ask for any consult, I didn't really pray about it, it was just, uh, it's just something we did, and within three months, you know, it was like a huge, huge mistake, and, and so I I had to resign from doing that, and I can still see Mark and I standing outside the clinic the day I told him, and, um, and that was the last conversation we had for nearly 15 years, because Mark was so hurt by what I did, and I can understand why, and, and he just didn't want anything to do with me, and then about 15 years later, Mark was, uh, I think, uh, I'm pretty confident, uh, it was his 50th birthday party his family was having for him and I got a a call from his sister-in-law saying you know Steve would be really nice if if you sent Mark a tape tape you know what those are uh sent Mark a tape with just just telling him you know congratulating him and and I did and and soon after Mark called me and our broken relationship was restored and and it's you know, meant so much to Becky and I ever since, and up to last year when Mark unexpectedly walked into the church where Greg's funeral service was being held, and for us to be able to be together. In fact, I had Mark and his wife sit with our family um, because of the closeness of our relationship. Broken relationships reconciled. It's a powerful thing. And what I'd like us to see this morning is that there's a reconciliation that makes, needs to take place in all of our lives. It's a, it's a reconciliation at a far higher level, at the highest level possible, and it's a reconciliation that makes the greatest difference possible in our lives, both now and for all of eternity. It's for us to be reconciled to God. Now, we've... Um, Titled this series "Equations," and and um, and so uh, I think Jeff uh, showed you this last 
last week, the equation that we have for, um, for the series. And uh, I got to tell you, now I'm, I'm a little challenged with math, geometry, algebra, just never my thing, so you have to bear with me on this. But what, what this equation is saying is that, is that Jesus, Jesus leads to a change in the sum total of life. Everything. He changes everything about our lives. And what we're going to see this morning is that it, it begins with Jesus Christ making it possible for us to be reconciled to God. He, he makes it possible for us to be totally new, just a whole different life than we would have had if, if Jesus Christ had not done what he did for us. Paul writes about this in the passage we come to today. And it's just four verses, Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. And he does, the, he does the same thing with this as he did when he unpacked for us the truth of Christ's deity. He does it in, 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 a, in a few well-chosen words. And what he writes, we see, flows out of this, this incredibly important truth that, that Jesus is God. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, Paul writes, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, that move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Jesus leads to change and the sum total of life. He makes it possible for us to be reconciled to God. I, um, I like comics. And... Uh, why I do, I can't, I, I can't explain. I, I have no excuse. Uh, most of the time, they're just dumb. In fact, I, I was going to show you three of them this morning. I thought were pretty funny. And, and I'm a little tight for time, so I asked Rob and Chris before it started, are they funny? And they said, no, nah, not so much. So I'm not going to show you those two, all right? But, but, but most of the time... Um, well, let me say it this way. Sometimes, sometimes, they're pretty good at saying it the way it is. And I, I just want to show you this one from Peanuts. And I, I don't think you, um, boy, now I'm in trouble because I don't think I've got it with me either. Whoa. Oh, I can read it. Good. Can you read it? I can read it. Uh, Lucy's looking out the window and she says, boy, look at it rain. What if it floods the whole world? Linus. It will never do that. In the ninth chapter of Genesis, God promised Noah that that would never happen again. And the sign of the promise is the rainbow. 
Lucy. Oh, you've taken a great load off my mind. Linus. Sound theology has a way of doing that. Now, you know what, everybody? Sound theology is what Paul is giving us in this passage. And, and it begins with who Jesus Christ is, that he's fully God. This, this makes all the difference in, in what he did for us. You see, it was not simply a, another human being who took on himself God's judgment for our sin. It was God himself who did this. It was the eternal son of God who took your sin and my sin on himself. And, and, and so that when Paul writes in this passage about you and I being reconciled, he, he adds something to this word so that he, in fact, what he does is he adds a preposition. We can't see it in the English, but, but you can see it in the Greek. And what it does is that it intensifies the meaning of reconcile. So that what it says to those who first read this letter and, and, and to each one of us today is that through Jesus Christ, it's possible for every one of us to be thoroughly, completely, and totally reconciled to God where there's, where there's nothing left that needs to be done either by us or by anybody else. It's a, it's a done deal. It's a done deal. I'd say that, take a, that takes a, a great load off our minds, wouldn't you? Sure does for me. Now, there, there are three things that this passage shows us about reconciliation. First of all, the reason why we need to be reconciled to God Second, the way God reconciles us to himself. And, and the third one is, is the result of reconciliation. And, and really, all three are just absolutely incredible. I mean, just amazing what God does for us. So let's think and dig into this. First of all, our need to be reconciled. And the first question that you and I might ask is, well, why do I need to be reconciled to God? What's, you know, what's the big deal? about this what have I done that that is so upsetting to God I mean I'm just minding my own business I'm doing my own thing what is it that God's got against me I I can't be that bad can I well actually yes we are that bad every one of us no exceptions and 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 Paul Paul used some very strong words to point this out to us he he did that in, in, in verse 21 where he said this. He said, once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. I mean, whoa, those are some strong words, aren't they? And this is, this is one very condemning statement. Not, not the kind of thing that any one of us like to hear about ourselves. Where, where I think it would you know, be very easy for us to, to push back on Paul and say, you know, really, Paul? Really? And he, gave, he, he would say, yeah, really. Really. Now, when Paul wrote about this, uh, this he was reminding the Colossians about what they were in the past. He's speaking to men and women who are followers of Christ. So all of this was past tense for them. Notice he said, 
once you were, once you were alienated from God, once you were God's enemies. For some of us here today, it's the same way for us. It's past tense that we were alienated from God, that we were God's enemies. So I thought about that. You know, it's, it's, it's good for us to be reminded uh, how it was before we trusted in Jesus Christ. And it's good to be reminded because it's very easy to begin taking for granted what God's done for us. It's easy to forget what we were. And when we do forget, we begin getting uppity about ourselves. We just get proud of ourselves. And we get down on people who are still very far from God. For others of us here today, it's present tense. It's the way it is right now for us with God. We're, we're alienated from God. And so we, what God wrote in this verse really describes us to a T. It's like, it's like looking into a mirror. But the problem is... Sometimes we can't see what's in the mirror. It's easy to be blind to what we are. To not see yourself for who you really are. And, and as I thought about this, I think this happens because what is so easy to do is to compare yourself with people who do a whole lot worse than you do. And when you do this, you... And I'm, I, I'm just being very honest here. Can become proud. And when someone begins to approach you about God, about Jesus Christ, and your need of Jesus Christ, is, it's, it's, it's a very natural, very easy thing to become defensive. That you need Christ. One of my, one of my favorite stories that Jesus Christ told uh, in the Gospels is found in Luke chapter 18. It's a, it's a story about two men, a, a Pharisee and a, and a tax collector. And I just want, I want to read this for you because I, I just think it speaks to what we're talking about this morning. So Luke, Luke chapter 18 and getting at verse 9, he, he said this. And he really is speaking to all of us. He said, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. Get that? To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to a temple to pray, and one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. You see, prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Robbers and evildoers and adulterers, even, even like this tax collector. God, I, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast, his chest, and he said, he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus said, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted 
know, everybody, it's, it's, it's possible for any one of us to be like the Pharisee when we should be like the tax collector. So here's what I think. I'm convinced that what Paul says in, in verse 21 speaks to every single one of us here today. You've come here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm speaking to myself when I say what I'm about to say. You need to be reminded of what you were and become more humble than what you are. Or if you've come here today and Christ has no part in your life, you are distant from God, you are alienated from God, you need to be warned of what you are. So you humble yourself before God. So you can be reconciled to God. Again, look at this. Paul, Paul writes in, in that statement in verse 21. He, um, he said this. I mean, every time we read it, every time I read it, it's like, whoa. He said, once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. First thing to understand from this verse is that we're the ones who've done the alienating. You know, it's not God who distanced himself from us. It's us who distance ourselves from God. And, and this thing that we do, it goes all the way back. I mean, all the way back to the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve. After Adam and Eve sinned, disobeyed God, who hid? Who, you know, who, who, who came searching it was Adam and Eve who hid from God, right? It, it was God who came searching for them. It, God didn't hide. They hid from God. And I mean, just check this out. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. We, said, we read this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The truth is, everybody, and, and man, this... Got to get this. Adam and Eve distancing themselves from God didn't begin with hiding from God. It began with their sinning against God. And, and, and what was true for Adam and Eve is, is true for every single one of us here today. As Paul Wright wrote in verse 21, you were enemies in your minds because of your, of, of your evil behavior. Thing we've got to know and is that God did not become our enemy. God didn't become our enemy. We chose to become God's enemy. I mean, that is so important to understand. You know, you read what Paul wrote and you hear what I just said out of this verse. And I can see why you'd, you might be thinking to yourself, well, what, what is he talking about? I never chose to be God's enemy. I got, you know, I got nothing against God. What did I do to make myself God's enemy? Well, here, here's why. You've done what we've all done. You've chosen to do what God tells us not to do. And you've chosen not to do what God tells us to do, right? Haven't we all? And both choices come out of this decision that you made, and I'm just being honest here, okay, that you made to be God of your own life. I mean, I, I did it, and I can 
step into doing it again. As they determine the mindset, you, you know, this mindset that, that you have to do what you want to do, no matter what God says we should or shouldn't do. Here's how this is described for us in Romans chapter 8. And first of all, in verse 5, this statement, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. And then in verse 7, this statement, the sinful mind is hostile toward God. I mean, honestly, this is saying it the way it is. And the thing about this that you know, about this whole deal is that you and I can't plead ignorance. We, we can't say, well, I didn't know. I didn't know I shouldn't do that. I, I, you know, I didn't know that I should do this. We know, right? We know what's right and we know what's wrong. Not only, not only did God give us this inner sense of, 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 of good and evil, God spelled it out for us in Scripture. Now, the thing about this is that I would say it's not smart to be an enemy of God. Just not smart. It really isn't, you know? I mean, to understand how true this is, I I think in a a certain sense we we all need to have the experience of, and, and really the conversation with God that Job did in the Old Testament. You know Job's story, Job... Lost everything, lost because of natural calamity. He lost all of his possessions because of that disaster. He lost everything, and then he lost his family, and then he lost his health. And 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 and, and if you read the first thirty-seven chapters of of Job, you you hear Job and his friends debating each other with each other about. Who's right and who's wrong? And, and Job's friends are accusing him of, of, of doing wrong. And Job is defending himself. For 37 chapters of that. And, and then at the end of that, Job begins to have a conversation with God. And he, he's complaining to God. And then God speaks to Job. This is like the very end of the book. And God began with this question. He said, he said to Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations, Job? Where were you when it all began? And this question alone would have been enough to silence Job. But, but God goes on to describe one wonder after another in this world that he's created. Every, every one pointing to God's infinite, infinite greatness, his his power and his wisdom. And the book ends with Job saying this to God. Love it. He said, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. <laughs> Get this, everyone. This was Job's response when God stopped with the wonder of Earth's creation. Today, you and I have something like the Hubble Space Telescope that that reveals the incredible universe in in which this Earth is one very, very small planet. You know? I look at a picture like that and all the other pictures that come back from Hubble, and and I, I just say, you know, everybody, it's not smart to be an enemy of the God who made it all. 
and keeps it all going. And this is especially true when we understand that God is the one who's made it possible for us to no longer be his enemy. It's, it, it's, it, you know, it's God who reconciles us. And, and so that brings us to the way God did this. Three verses, verse 19, verse 20, and then verse 22. Verse 19 and 20, this statement. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him through, in Christ and through him to reconcile to himself all things. And then he made this statement at the end. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And then, and then verse 22, the first half of that verse, this statement. But, but now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. The first thing not to miss in these verses is that God's the peacemaker. Not me, not you. It's God who's made it possible for us to have peace with him. I mean, think about this, everybody. I just, you know, it's something to think about, not only right now, but the rest of this day. In fact, I'd say the rest of our lives. We're the ones who shove God out of our life. We're the ones who alienate ourselves from God. We're the enemy. We're the ones who've sinned against God. But it's God who did what needed to be done to make peace. It all began with the miracle of the incarnation. God's eternal son becoming one with us in our humanity. I mean, talk, talk about being willing to go the extra mile. You know, if you, have, if you ever ask yourself the question, how, how willing should I be to reconcile with somebody who's wronged me? Just think of Jesus Christ left the, the glory of heaven, eternity, he, that, that infinite expanse between that and, and earth. And, and then he was willing to confine himself within a human body, all the limitations, experiencing every bit of what it means to be human, including the temptation to sin, and, and yet not doing what we've all done as, as, as much as he was tempted to do it. He didn't choose to do wrong. He didn't choose to do evil. He didn't choose to go against God. Instead, he, he lived a life of perfect obedience to the will of his heavenly Father. And then one day, he surrendered himself to a cross, to death on a cross. He he died for you. He died for me. I mean, just every time I say that, you know, it's like, man, he did that. Yeah. He died taking God's judgment for our sin. He died to make peace between us and God. I mean, that makes me ask the question, why would any one of us want to keep on being an enemy of God? I mean, why would you? So what's the result of God reconciling us to himself, well, um, well, let me, you know, what happens when we do what Job did? Okay, what happens? What happens when we despise the evil in our lives and we repent in humility before God and we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior? What happens to us? When and if we do that, 
Paul answers this for us in verse 22. He said, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. And here's, here's the result. To present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Why? It doesn't get any better than this, does it? God reconciles us through Jesus Christ to make us holy. And not just a little bit holy, 100% holy, where there's, there's not one iota, not one blemish of sin in our lives. We're, we're totally free from any accusation of wrong. Anybody else here find it easy to accuse yourself? Man, I do. You know how easy it is for me to just go, huh, man, I, you know, how can God love me? But he does. And so you might ask yourself the question, you know, Steve, that sounds great, but, but when does that happen? Well, it happens the moment we take our last breath on earth and our first breath in eternity. We're going to be presented to Jesus Christ exactly the way he died for us to be. But you know what? Right now, right now, as far as God's concerned, it's a done deal. He sees us perfectly holy the moment, the moment we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior. At that moment, we're completely reconciled to God and nothing can change that. In fact, uh, one of the things you can do, check me out on this, and is read all of Romans chapter 8, my favorite chapter in the Bible. So what do we do with this? What do we do with it? Well, it depends on whether Paul's description in verse 21, where he said those Awful things about us is past tense or present tense. And so if you've come here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you know, the thing you got to do, everybody, is to remind yourself of, of what you were. You know? And what you'd be today apart from Jesus Christ. You see, what we've got to do is we've got to do a check on our pride. Got to ask ourselves the question, are there, are there any indicators of pride where you're acting like a Pharisee toward people who are still very far from God? You're, you're looking down your nose at sinners and you're, and you're distancing yourself from them. You're doing the very opposite of what Jesus Christ did. Boy, that's easy to do. And I think we've probably all got our certain things that kind of just Trip us up on this deal, you know? I mean, I'll tell you my latest and greatest, dumbest, is I've had this one neighbor for over 15 years now. Now, not the one with the dog, so, all right? Uh, but another neighbor. One of the things I have a hard time with is men who shout all the time, who scream at their kids. You know, you know kind of guy I'm talking about. I just didn't like him. I never did. And I chose 
consciously or unconsciously, I chose not to walk across the street and talk to that guy because he just ticked me off. Now, last year God began to deal with me on that issue. And so toward the end of last year, I started initiating conversation with him. And you know what happened to me yesterday? It was like, God, you time things so perfectly for sermons. I'm just opening up my garage door. And I'm standing by the car. And it's just as he comes walking with his dog. And evidently he had never heard that until just this last week that Greg died. And he stops and he walks up to me and he puts his hand out. I was telling, some, I was telling Becky this last night and telling somebody else, you know, in the top ten, he was in, what he said was in the top ten of what people have said to me. Compassion on his face was just like God's gift. But it was also God's rebuke. You know, we can look at people who are far from God and we can see things in them, whatever it is. You know, they're coarse or they're vulgar or their, their lifestyle is so absolutely sinful. And we can just, we can do this thing where we say, I'm just not going to have anything to do with them. We don't socialize with them. We, we don't engage with them. And we forget that, man, they're created in God's image. Man, they're just... They're even capable of some of the most wonderful, beautiful things that anybody can do. And they need to be reconciled to God, too. And we need to be the ones to help bring that message of reconciliation. You see, there's a sense in which you and I should never stop having the attitude of Job, where he said, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. And, and the attitude of the tax collector who cried out, God, have mercy to me, to me a sinner. Perhaps many of you know that Chuck Colson died about a week ago. I think it was last week, right? Chuck Colson, who during the years of Nixon was known as Nixon's hatchet man. He it was the whole Watergate thing where he did some very bad stuff. And in 1974, he was put in prison. And in prison, he became a believer in Jesus Christ. He got reconciled to God. And he founded Prison Fellowship, which is actually the largest ministry to prisoners in the world. And I found this article that was in the World Herald. It was a writer for the Washington Post... And, and I just love what Michael Gerson said. It, it, look at this. He said, many, many wondered at Chuck's sudden conversion to Christianity. In fact, some people mocked it. He, he, but I love this. He seemed to wonder at it himself. He spent each day that, that followed for nearly 40 years dazzled by his own impossible redemption. That's what we should do. All of our lives dazzled by our, by our redemption that God reconciled. And then it said, it is the reason that he never hedged or hesitated in describing his relationship with Jesus Christ. Chuck was possessed, not by some cause, but by someone. See that? That's what we should be, possessed by Jesus Christ. And all that he means in our life. Or it might be that you've come here today... 
And to be really honest with yourself, you would say, you know what? I have kept God at a distance from my life. I've, I've been doing my life my way. And friend, if this is you, i got to say to you, you also need to do a check on your pride. You see, it's likely you've been doing what the Pharisee did in Christ's story. Compare yourself to people you see as much worse than you. And, 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 and you think that God has every reason to be pleased with you. You've been doing this instead of recognizing, like the tax collector did, that you're a sinner in need of God's mercy. You, you need to be reconciled to God. And friend, if, if you are, then I need, you need to really say what what Job and the tax collector said, and you need to genuinely mean it. You need to say, God, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You see, you need to have this very honest conversation with God. Or you say, God, you're a holy God, and I'm a, I, am, I am an evil sinner, God. I have sinned against you. God, I... I repent of my sin today and I I trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior. You need to have that prayer, that conversation with God. You know, um, I usually preach a sermon three times before I give it to you on Sunday morning. It's kind of a weird deal. I'm in a room by myself and I've never been able to get the staff to come in and listen to me, you know. Yesterday morning I was in the hub room and I, I preached through this sermon and I was weeping by the time I finished because of what I, what I knew it would mean for all of us. And I got down on my knees and I just had this incredible time of prayer with God. Reconciled. Boy, just think about this word the rest of your life. And, and every time you do, be, be encouraged by God's love for you. And be inspired to love people who are far from God the way God loves you. Let's pray. Oh, God. What an amazing word to be reconciled to you. God, I pray your Holy Spirit would draw all of us to you in humility. Oh, God, for your glory, for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.